glory and pain and you've broken the chains so there's no sovereign here together we are stronger so put your hand in mine we give you Dear God, we have heard amazing things about you. How you set the captives free, how it was not by their might, but by yours. You're my king. Because of you, Lord God, I stand. So I don't trust in my own ability, my own wisdom, but in your wisdom. You've saved us. In you, O Lord, is our boast, and we thank you. We praise you over and over and over again.
But now, it's like you've abandoned us, left us, disgraced us like dead meat, chased from our home and scattered. We must not mean very much to you. You've made us a joke before other churches, friends and neighbors think we're nuts meeting downtown. All day, I'm embarrassed about what happened this past year. I wear like a dark hood over my head at all times, the shame of what happened. I'm constantly reminded every time I get a phone call, everywhere I look, every conversation I have, and this has happened to all of us, but we haven't forgotten you. We have not been unfaithful. Our hearts are good. We stuck to the truth, but you have treated us like dogs. Sometimes I just want to die. I mean, we've been, if we'd been unfaithful to you, Lord God, you'd know about it, but we stuck our necks out for you. We put our heart on the line for you, and you just let us get butchered like we're just a piece of bloody meat, so wake up, God! Why are you sleeping? Why are you hiding? Why don't you even care? We're dying down here, dying in the dust, so get up! They say that you're love and all that. Well, if you're so great, if you're all loving, why don't you show it to us in the dust? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Now I have a question for you. Did my prayer make you nervous? Just a little? Now hang in there with me. Nobody leave. You understand? (laughs) And I appreciate that word because it's true. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to turn and find three or four other people and tell them why my prayer made you nervous. Okay, go ahead and do that. Introduce yourself, say your name, and just talk to them, okay? And you express your anxiety to them for a minute. Did. That's my mom. She came in from Tennessee. Yeah, so that's cool. Just, uh, that's yeah. Cool. Tell her she's just great. She's <laughs> <Just> great. <laughs> okay, now listen, that's good enough. I, in case, I, I want you to know it made me nervous, okay? So don't feel, if it made you nervous, don't feel bad. But I just want to ask you, why did it make you nervous? Just, just a few... What, 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 how come? What, Mom said there was a lot of truth in what I was saying. Yeah, that makes us nervous sometimes. Yeah, Gary? Because you're afraid it's true, yeah. Yeah. 
I was yelling at God. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a good idea, right? <laughs> uh, anything else? Yeah, our heart, and sounds like something he should be saying to us, and maybe he does say something like that to us. Okay, any other ideas? If you want to hear from God, listen. If you want to hear from God, listen. So maybe we weren't listening. It didn't make me nervous at all. It made me feel as if I would want to pray that way. I want to get mad sometimes. You want to get mad? I don't want to be Casper Miltos prayer. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to just be milk toast. Yeah, Julie? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Because what I just prayed, I didn't write. <laughs> that's Psalm 44. All I did was go back to Psalm 44, and I rephrased it. I put it in my own language. I made it a little more applicable to where we are, and I actually edited it. I took things out of it because they made me nervous to say to God. <laughs> I basically just uh, paraphrased it. I don't know that I felt all that at that moment, I don't think I did, but sometimes, sometimes I do. But it was Psalm 44. Let's read it from the English Standard Version, okay? And uh, this is how it starts. To the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. Now, a maskil is a type of uh, liturgical song or poem uh, is what we think. People aren't quite sure. The sons of Korah were Levites and musicians in the temple. So they were like choir directors. And now a, a psalm was probably sung. This psalm was probably sung responsively in the temple. So the king would sing part of it and then the congregation would sing part of it. You see, the book of Psalms means book of songs. Uh, the book of Psalms is the Hebrew hymn book. Psalm 44 is in God's authorized corporate songbook. That's freaky weird, huh? Okay. It goes like this. Oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us, what deeds you performed in their days in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes, and you have put to shame those who hate us. In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. But... But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nation, a laughingstock among the people. All day long my disgrace is before me and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight 
sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, wake up. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our afflictions and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Isn't that amazing? And your response was perfect, by the way. So don't feel bad about that. I believe that was from the Lord. But that's in God's hymn book. That's in the Bible. Not just in the Bible, in the song book. That means God told his people to sing it. In fact, there's a whole genre of songs and poems in Scripture just like it. They're called Psalms of Lament. Yet you don't hear many songs like that on inspirational Christian radio, (laughs) right? I mean, you certainly don't read a song like that or hear a song like that in in the Quran. No songs, no poems in the Quran. Certainly no songs about how Allah has, like, really let us down and we're kind of disappointed in how he's followed through. No songs in the Quran. Few songs, if any, like that on Christian radio. And you can see why. It's terrible PR, right? I mean, it's really, really lousy marketing for God. Really bad God marketing. You know, as a young pastor and still today, at times, I think my job is to be like God's PR guy his marketing guy. Things go bad with you and I'm supposed to market him to you. In this world of pain and sorrow, I am to be God's ordained and seminary trained spin doctor. (laughs) Right? That's what pastor is. And that kind of stresses me out, being God's spin doctor. Stresses me out for a whole bunch of reasons, not least of which is that God just doesn't seem to be all that concerned himself about his own spin. You know what I mean? I mean, if God needs PR or spin doctrine, Psalm 44 just doesn't make much sense. If God is a program, a system, or a religion that we're trying to market, like, you know, you do these things and God will work for you. Well, Psalm 44 just doesn't make much sense. If God is at all insecure about his reputation or his identity or his image, Psalm 44 doesn't make much sense at all. You see, it seems that the God of the Bible is just incredibly secure. Now, I am not very secure. And that's why genuine, authentic, honest relationships tend to be something of a a problem for me. You know, part of why we get married and enter into that marriage covenant is so that we might be secure enough to risk being honest enough, to risk having a genuine, honest, real relationship with at least one person in this world. But I'm insecure. 
And my wife Susan in the front row in the yellow dress is insecure as well. And we argue. I'm more verbal than Susan. And I mean by that, I argue better than Susan. <laughs> and Susan has had some wounds in the past that make her tend to want to just shut down at times. Sometimes arguing with her, I'll suddenly realize she's right, I'm wrong. And uh, in those moments, I know that I could win the argument, but for the love of her, if I'm good enough in the moment and if I'm secure enough, sometimes I'll help her argue against me. I'll be like her advocate or her comforter, even against myself. I'll say, well, honey, you must be thinking or you must be feeling whatever. But now it's different with God, isn't it? He's never wrong, right? I mean, he's got an advantage there if you argue with him. He's, he's, never, he's never wrong. But you know, even if I'm right and Susan is wrong, which happened once, I think, but even if I'm right and Susan is wrong, I still need to help her speak. I, I still need to help her express what's on her heart. I need to say, I bet you think I'm a moron right now, don't you? And she'll answer that question I've found. But you see, if I don't do that, if I don't help her speak, she may honor me with her lips, but her heart will be far, far, far from me. So a good husband helps his wife, his bride, express her heart even if he gets crucified in the process. You know those nails that they drove through Jesus' hands? He made the iron in those nails. Something to think about. But the good husband helps his bride express her heart because he doesn't simply want her consent. He doesn't simply want her obedience. He doesn't simply want her respect as in fear and awe. He wants her heart. Communion with her heart. Sometimes, especially when we were first married, I'd say something and hurt Susan and She'd just shut down. I'd say, honey, what's wrong? Are, are, you, are, you, are you mad? And she'd say, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. I'll be, what, I'll be whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want. And at that moment, I knew I was toast. <laughs> I mean, it would scare me to death. Nothing was worse, for I no longer had access to her heart. It was locked away in a dungeon of pain and resentment. You know, God referred to Israel as his bride. Maybe he didn't simply want her consent. Maybe he didn't simply want her obedience. Maybe he didn't simply want her respect, as in fear and awe. Maybe he wanted her heart to commune with her heart. And so he'd say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is so far from me. In other words, next time you, you gather to worship, next time you get together, listen, I want you to do this. I know that you're hurt. I know that you're wounded. I know that you're mad at me. I know that you've shut down. So I want you to get together and say this. It's Psalm 44. Say that. I'll give you the words so that you can be truthful. 
But you know, I'm not even sure that some of the things in Psalm 44 are technically even true. And yet, they're truthful. I mean, the psalm says, why are you sleeping, God? Was God sleeping? No. I don't think he was sleeping. I don't think he is sleeping. But did Israel feel like God was sleeping? Yeah, she did. Even if she was terrified to say it, he knew she thought that. Years ago, Susan and I got into this argument about something or other. And just when I expected to, Susan to shut down, the point at which she would normally shut down her heart, just when I expected her to shut down, she spun around and she said, you! And then she called me a name. I can tell you the abbreviation for it, but I'll get letters. I learned the abbreviation in the movie, I think it was Braveheart. But anyway, she called me this name, and the name implied a deed that I had not done. Okay? So the name was wrong. It wasn't true. She called me that name, but then I looked at her, she looked at me, and we both broke out in laughter. I said, wow, I really know how you feel. That was good, honey. We've been working on that. You see, at that moment in our marriage, it was a gift. For I had her heart. Even if it was hurt, even if it was angry. Now listen, I'm not telling you to curse anyone. Don't do that. And I'm not telling you to curse God. And yet I am telling you that you must tell God how you feel. Even if what you feel, even if you're not sure that what you feel is true, you must surrender the lie. Sometimes, you know, we're untruthful because we're harboring anger and resentment and don't want to die to a lie. And I think when we choose that, it's called hell, death. We take refuge in hell, death, Hades. Well, even if what you feel is untrue, you must be truthful with that untruth. And so you see, you can speak something that is objectively untrue and yet be very truthful. Like, why are you sleeping? On the other hand, you can speak something that is objectively true and not have an ounce of truth in you, like Satan. Remember, he quoted scripture to Jesus. And the scripture was true. But there was not an ounce of truth in Satan. He was entirely dishonest and untrue. Well, bride of Christ, did you know that you're married to Jesus? He's very secure. He's always right. He can win any argument with you. He's definitely more verbal than you. He's the word of God. That's pretty verbal. And yet, he wants your heart. He wants you to be truthful. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the truth, and the truth is life. It's all him. He is the way, and that way is truth. I'm trying to say you can't arrive at the truth until you are 
truthful. The truth is the way, the road. Soren Kierkegaard writes, the road comes into existence only when we walk upon it. That's when we see it, at least. That is, the road is truth. Worldly wisdom teaches that the road goes over Gerizim or over Moriah, or that the road is certain doctrines or certain behaviors. But all that is a deception because the road is how it is walked. It is indeed, as Scripture says, two people can be sleeping in the same bed. The one is saved, the other is lost. Two people can go up to the same house of worship. The one goes home saved, the other is lost. Two people can recite the same creed. The one can be saved, the other is lost. How does this happen? Except for the fact that, spiritually speaking, it is a deception to know where the road is because the road is how it is walked. In other words, you cannot arrive at the truth until you are truthful. And indeed, why would you want the truth if you didn't want to be truthful? If you didn't want to be truthful, you'd only want the truth so you could use the truth, break the truth, or crucify the truth. And Jesus is the truth. To know the truth, you must be truthful. That means that faith is not lying. Did you know that? Worship is not acting. Righteousness is not a con job. I heard someone say, faith is believing what you know isn't true. That's not faith. That's a lie. Believing a lie, lying to yourself. Faith is not pretending someone's healed when they're not healed. Faith is not ignoring evidence. Faith is not pretending that there's a set of human footprints next to dinosaur footprints somewhere in Texas just because you think that's good PR for your guy. That's not faith. Faith is truth, fullness. It's a love for truth. And Jesus is the truth. In high school, I had a million questions. And I wondered if Jesus is true. I've told you that the closest thing I have to a conversion experience was the night in high school that I got down on my knees and I wept beside the bathtub crying to God, telling God that I didn't think I could believe in him anymore. The experience always puzzled me because that was my turning point. That was when I, Peter Hyatt, and not my mom or dad, but I started to really have faith, really believe. Now, I think I'm starting to see that when I said I didn't believe, I was speaking to the one in whom I did believe. But you see, he wasn't simply the truth out there, an object out there. He was the truth in here, in my heart. You see, I wasn't really even sure about the truth out there, but without realizing it, I confess my faith in the truth in here in my heart. I confess that I believed that I had to be full of truth. I wanted truth. And do you understand? Jesus is the truth. And he is the way. And so that night, I stepped onto the way. 
Now I believe all that stuff. I mean, I believe all the scripture. Like Campola says, I even believe that the, the leather on the cover of my Bible is genuine Moroccan leather. Um, I believe. Actually, I don't know if it's from Morocco, but I believe. Because of that night, I sought the truth. Seek and you will find, said Jesus. So faith is not lying and worship is not an act. You know, I've always struggled with Christian music because so much of it seems untrue. I don't mean doctrinally untrue, like they sing and screw up the doctrine of the Trinity or something. I mean emotionally untrue. You know, if we sing, I'm never alone, that's true, right? But if we sing, I'm never lonely, that's a lie. If you sing, our God is an awesome God, that's true, he is. But if you sing, I think, I always think, I just always think you're wonderful, well, that could be a lie. Could be flattery. You know, Psalm 78 tells us that was the sins of the Israelites. It says, they flattered him with their mouths, they lied to him with their tongues. They flattered him. Did you ever catch that before? And yet there's a bunch of scripture that says their sin was that they murmured about him. They grumbled about him. So you get the picture? Don't ever speak the contents of Psalm 44 into the air. Don't ever just murmur it to your neighbor or grumble it to the person next door. When the Israelites grumbled about God among themselves, it was a sin that sent them to their grave. But when the Israelites grumbled about God to God, what was it called? Worship! It was in the songbook. He even prescribed the words. It's called the Bible. And Psalm 44 is a song. It's poetry. It's emotional poetry. God wants intellectual honesty, emotional honesty, and he wants personal honesty given to him. And you know what? He already knows what you're thinking. He already knows what you're feeling. There's no point in grumbling about him or murmuring about him to another. He already knows. But do you know? And will you tell him he wants your heart, he wants a relationship? So faith is not lying, worship is not an act, righteousness is not a con job. It's tempting to think that's what God wants. Religious institutions may want it, but not God. He doesn't need your PR, your marketing skills. He doesn't want you to do any spin doctrine on his behalf. You cannot advance the truth by telling lies, no matter how prudent you think the lies are, no matter how good you think they make God look. In other words, I really think God wants us to be real. To be a real church in an unreal world. For folks can only arrive at the truth by being truthful. No matter how much lies may seem to work, they cannot, cannot build God's kingdom. You know, last year I was a little too real. And it was bad for PR. I asked questions the establishment didn't want me to ask. And so they required me to affirm two statements that I did not believe. And you see that at that point, I tried to explain this to people, at that point, it does not matter whether the two statements were objectively true or not. If I affirmed them, I 
would be untrue. That is, I would be lying, saying I knew something that I did not know. So short of someone convincing me that the statements were true, I could not affirm them without being untruthful. Well, I think that was incredibly frustrating for some. For what appeared to be, you know, just a little lie, just agree with this, just a business kind of lie, would in their minds do so much good, preserve the building, the budget, the programs, the establishment. Well, it might preserve the establishment, but it would not build the kingdom of truth. And it would have left me alone in hell. I mean death. I mean Hades. I mean cut off from the truth in my inmost being. Jesus is the truth. He's the king of the kingdom of which I long to be a part. We are married to the truth. We are the children of the truth. And you know, regarding my marriage, regarding my children, honestly, nothing scares me as much as a lie. When my wife says, Peter, do whatever you want, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm fine. But she's not fine. She doesn't think I'm right, and she resents me. When she honors me with her lips, but her heart is far from me, nothing scares me as much, because then she's cut off. The lie has cut her off. If she's yelling at me, at least we're still connected. We can go somewhere. But a lie, even a nice lie, cuts her off, cuts my kids off. When my kids lie to me, they're lost for me. They've cut themselves off. When we lie, we cut ourselves off from the Father and his word. We imprison ourselves in death. Death because he is the life. The truth is the life. Like he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now this is hard to explain to some people, and some of you have had this experience, but nothing has convinced me of the danger of lies as much as praying for people struggling with demonic oppression. The demonic literally takes refuge in darkness and lies. But the demonic cannot bear truth. To cast out a demon is to expose a lie. It's to shine the light on a little piece of hell. And so listen, when we live with resentment, bitterness, and anger toward God, but we flatter him with the sweet words from our mouth, we construct the kingdom of darkness in our hearts and a refuge for evil. And God will do anything and everything to shatter our little kingdoms of darkness and help us speak truth to him from the dust and the ashes of our soul. Like this. Francis reminded me That's of where we're going to find no shrimp, my boy! That's where we'll find them.
still no shrimp, Lieutenant Dang. Okay, so I was wrong. Well, how are we gonna find them? Well, maybe you should just pray for shrimp. Still praying So I went to church every Sunday. Sometimes Lieutenant Dang came too, though I think he left the praying up to me. No shrimp. Where the hell's this god of yours? It's funny Lieutenant Dan said that, because right then, God showed up. Now me, I was scared, but Lieutenant Dan, he was mad. Carmen came through here yesterday, destroying nearly everything in its path. And as in other towns up and down the coast, BioLabatry's entire shrimping industry has fallen victim to Carmen and has been left in utter ruin. Speaking with local officials, this reporter has learned, in fact, only one shrimping boat actually survived the storm. Louise! Louise, that's forced! After that, shrimping was easy. Since people still needed them shrimps for shrimp cocktails and barbecues and all, and we were the only boat left standing, Bubba got shrimps what they got. We got a whole bunch of boats, 12 jennies, big old warehouse. We even have hats that say Bubba Gump on them. Bubba Gump shrimp. He never actually said so, but I think he made his peace with God. Get the point? See, shrimp's not hard for God. Houses, cars, boats, budgets, bank accounts, programs, establishments, armies, empires. None of that's hard for God. Not a problem for him. But to get you to speak truth from the depths of your heart, speak truth from the darkest corners of your soul, to get you to speak truth from your kingdom of darkness, for that the truth himself became flesh and hung on a cross, endured the storm, and descended. Where? Into our hell, speaking. You know, God will arrange the storms of your life to get you to speak the truth to him. Like he did with Lieutenant Dan. Like he did 
with Israel. He would give Israel a storm of invading armies, and yet even more, he gave them the word to speak in the midst of the storm. He gave them Psalm 44 to express their hearts to him. He gave them his word. But now you're Christians. So you know that his word is far more than just some pages in a book, some ink on a, on a page. His word is living and active, and he has become flesh and even descended into our death, our hell. And if you've studied your Bible a while, you know that Psalm 44 is not the only psalm of lament. In fact, Psalm 22 is even more famous than Psalm 44. It begins with these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Several years ago, I had an experience that changed my life. It happened praying for our friend Elaine. I've never met anyone that's weathered as many storms as Elaine. And I've never met anyone that knows Jesus like Elaine. She shared her story here, you know, several months ago. So you may know at least a little of the context. But Elaine was raised in a satanic coven, ritually devoted to evil. Elaine has experienced more horrifying things than I have ever seen portrayed in any Hollywood movie. Most of her life, she'd always been able to remember her life, but there was one year as a young woman that she'd forgotten. It was a year that for Elaine was filled with shame. And so she had repressed it. She had repressed it later in life in an effort to construct a new life as a normal Christian church lady. She left that year in darkness. That is until in prayer one night, several years ago, Jesus began to reveal it. He literally appeared to her in a vision one night and gave her her heart back that he had been holding it to guard it. Well, the experience that changed my life happened around that time in, in my living room. It must have been three, four in the morning. Susan and I uh, were praying for Elaine, battling various demons, even Satan. I know that's weird for some, but believe me, it was one hell of a storm, about the worst I'd ever seen. Elaine was wrestling with demons that would assault her in the night, but even more, she was wrestling with the shame, the frustration, the anger, the resentment that she had toward God, which she had tried to keep in the darkness for so long. Well, at one point, Jesus revealed something, or Elaine remembered something, or some demon said something and wouldn't leave. I can't remember exactly, but I remember that at that moment, it seemed to me that God was absolutely no longer working and that there was no hope. I was utterly horrified that God would allow such evil in his creation. And I was utterly horrified that now it seemed that that evil would win. The storm was just raging. And I remember suddenly Elaine, she fell onto our living room floor and she cried out, what do I do now? And I remember I did not know. I didn't know. 
And then it hit me. For at that moment, only one thing seemed true. So I dropped to the floor and I held her and I said, Elaine, say this. Say these words. Elaine, say this. Say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then she did. I heard her. She screamed it. My God, why have you forsaken me? And then all at once, as I held her, her body just grew stiff as if she was utterly transfixed by something. And the something really hurt. And then only after a moment, she just melted in perfect peace. Later, she told Susan and I that as soon as she had said those words, she had a vision, and this is what she saw. She saw that old licentious self that she was so ashamed of. She saw that self get nailed to the cross. And then she said, all at once, I saw my church lady self that judged that old licentious self also get nailed to the cross right on top of of the other me. And then she said, I saw Jesus get nailed to the cross on top of those, those two selves, those two false selves, those two lies about who Elaine was, who Elaine thought she was, but who she was not truly. And then she watched as together they all died. And then she said, Peter, as soon as they I saw myself standing at the foot of the cross, radiant, glowing, covered in a white gown, a wedding gown. You see, she really is the bride of the truth, the bride of Christ. And you know, I don't think God forsook Elaine, the true Elaine. He forsook the lie that Elaine believed to be Elaine. I don't know. I don't even know how to sort all that out. But I I do know this. It wasn't only Elaine that cried out on my living room floor, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It wasn't only Elaine. It was my king. For he had descended into the dust and the ashes speaking truth, destroying the works of the evil one. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is the truth out there. He is. But he suffered and died and descended that he would also be the truth in here. He descended into death and hell. He descended into your death to help you speak to his father, your father, truthfully. Psalm 22 begins with this line. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus began that song on the cross. I believe he finished it in the dust of hell. Psalm 22 ends like this. You go home and read it. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's you. That he has done it. It's finished. So let's pray. Lord God, would you help us through the power of your Spirit to speak truth fully 
to you. Descend into our darkness, into our lies, and help us speak you the truth. Jesus, speak in us to your Father. And now, as your eyes are closed, this is what I want you to do. Just be as honest as you can with God. If the words to the song apply to you, agree with them. If they don't, say something else. But don't hide. He's good. Truth can hurt, but he's good. Take till there's nothing Nothing to turn to Nothing when you get through Won't you break Scatter pieces of all I've been Bowing to all I've been Running to Where are you? silent and I thought you left me for the wreckage and the waste on an empty beach of faith was it true cause I I got a question Where are you? Scream Deeper I want to scream I want you to hear me you to find me and I I want to believe 
has come Will I I got a question I got a question betrayed he took bread and he broke it saying this is my body given to you take and eat and in the same manner after supper he took the cup and he said this is my blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins drink of it all of you where is he he's here and what is he asking of you to be honest And how can you be honest? He's here. He invites you to come to his table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup. The cups with the ribbons are wine. The cups without the ribbon are juice, but they're both blood. He invites you to come to the table and ingest the light, ingest the truth into your kingdom of lies. And if you're saying to yourself, well, I can't promise to be good. I can't always agree to speak the truth. I, I, he knows. That's why you need him. And once you receive him, you're on your way. So if you've never come to the table, you can do that now if you'd like. If you don't want him, then don't come. You can go by and just wave to the people who are holding the bread and act like you'd take it or whatever, but uh, he is the truth. And you ingest the truth and the truth will cut you. The truth will hurt, but the truth is good. And the truth will take you home. And that's what it is to be a Christian, what we call a Christian. <laughs> so come to the table and worship your king, for he is good. And he will not leave you nor forsake you. He came to the dust to give you his heart. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.
God, we bless your name. For you are not just a God who lives in the heavens beyond us, but you are the God that took on flesh and descended into our darkness and our lies, speaking truth from the depths of our being to your Father. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. And no one is as good as you. We bless your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Listen, you can be seated for just a second. My friend Valerie used to say, Jesus came so that we can talk to him wherever we are. So you remember that if you're lying in the dust. You just ingested the way. Isn't that cool? You just ate the way. The road's with you. Amen.